Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conor O'Neill, and joined today by Joe Torres, Chris Beasley, and Gav Buckland. As we look back on everything's disappointing, Carabao Cup exit at the hands of Bournemouth on Tuesday night, the changes Frank Lampard made to his starting lineup, and whether he was right to do so, and of course, preview Saturday's huge Premier League game, the vitality of Everton returned to the South Coast, looking to make amends for Tuesday night's performance. But Bees is only one place to start, and that is the Vitality Stadium on Tuesday night. You were there alongside Joe for the echo. As a seasoned pro, I think it's safe to say, in terms of watching Everton limp out of the League Cup oh. over the years to varying opposition, yeah. just where did that rank on Tuesday night? Yeah, um, it was it was right up there or right down there, depending on how we want to put it. I think the difference was, was that in the past, Everton have suffered many a League Cup humiliation and it, it wasn't for the the lack of trying. Um, there's been times when Everton have named more or less first choice 11s and still got turned over by lower division teams in, in the past but what really rankled with me was the, the fact that you know you're going away to another Premier League side and he changed the entire 11 uh, Joe and I have discussed this and obviously we'll go on to Joe in a minute and obviously do the three enforced changes through Anana Gay and Calvert-Lewin through injury and you could also say there are other players in there Patterson Gordon who were first team regulars on, on another day and then the people who in the past the recent past have been first team regulars but um, for me it was totally unnecessary to change um, the 11 something I'm very passionate about Everton during the longest ever trophy drought and um, they, these managers tell us that they want to win the competitions their team selections suggest otherwise Everton could and in my opinion should have named a much stronger 11 that night, what's Everton's raising Detra? They're just ready to throw away one of the two domestic cup competitions that they could win. And a knee-jerk reaction to them losing that game at Leicester City. I know it's all lifts and butts, but they could have been in the top half of the Premier League now. The reality is that they're not. But what we're saying, they can't have an extra half a dozen games over the next course of the season. It could end up in Wembley. And we've subsequently seen those other big teams going out. We know it's a tough competition to win these days. That the the monopoly has been with those big clubs, Manchester City and then Liverpool last season, winning the competition. But we've seen now the competition this year has actually opened up. And what, 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 if Everton haven't got those days of glory to look forward to, trying to win um, cup finals, I mean, there's been a bit of debate on the fan base. Some people think similar to myself, other people said no, Premier League safety at all costs. Uh, now, it's one thing saying you want to win these competitions and then naming a team like that and basically frank was <coughs> asked about it again today and his excuse was well i've got to give everyone a game certainly on the sevens um this is this Everton football club so now i was uh i think he let himself down i think he let um everton down uh, with that selection joe chris said there frank lampard let himself down with the team selection um i think as well as that there was a lot of players on that picture let themselves down wasn't it because as watching off on the press box of vitality stadium it was tough at times 
and I think it was since it was a bit of a horror show towards the end. Yeah, I think it's easy to you know put all the blame on Frank's shoulders, but I think actually you know when you look at that squad and you look at those players, I think a lot. I think they need to take the responsibility really because I, I do have. It was far from the reserve side that was angled to be exactly, and, and, I, and I think that you know it's important context. Calvert Lewin was never going to be fit for that game. Onana and Idrissa Gay were always unlikely to be fit for that game. Patterson's in Evans' first choice 11. Andy Gordon's in Evans' first choice 11. Begovic is one of the safest second goalkeepers in the Premier League. So all of a sudden, really, six of those changes, you're saying it's fair enough. Five of them may well be in the, the best starting line. Well, it's, it looks like Idrissa Gay, it looks like Amadou Onana might be fit for the league game. So, so maybe not. But a good chunk of that side will in the starting lineup tomorrow, or a good chunk of that side may well have to be relied upon at some point in this season. I think it was a brutal reminder, really, as to just how weak Everton's squad is. You know, when, when I looked at the starting lineup at first, my, my initial thought was, oh, you know, actually, Everton could put out a second string side, which is really reasonably competent still. And I was thinking, if anything, that's one of the great improvements on last season, that depth. But as we saw, you know, that, that depth is almost in name only. You know, I mean, granted, you know, some of those players haven't played regularly recently and that will affect them, their confidence and their match fitness. Granted, you know, Yerry Mina, Mason Holgate and Nathan Patterson, both come, all three of them are coming back from injury. So there's going to be a bit of rustiness there as well. But, you know, a lot, the one, the one thing that I thought, and I kind of wrote this after the game is, you know, when you look at that 11, that 11 those 11 players that started that match, Every single one of them had a point to prove. Every single one of those players had a reason to want to do well in that performance. And that's where I kind of can almost see, and this isn't complete, a complete defence of Lampard and changing everybody, but I can understand why he think would he would think that that team should have done better. They certainly should have been better against a Bournemouth side that made nine changes. You know, this is a side that have only just come up from Championship, have made nine changes and are still comprehensively trounce that Everton side. You know, I, I think it's it's a worrying indication really as to kind of the, the level of depth that's, that Everton have got. And if anything, it probably shows that it's a good thing for Everton that we've got this win, this little this six week break coming back up so that they can almost get a few players up to full fitness away from the pressure of match day scenarios, including Dominic Calvert Lewin, who is the best route to goals. But hopefully it's also a reminder a welcome reminder, it's unfortunate it's come in these circumstances that you, know, you could very easily see a scenario in which, say, for instance, you know, Everton got a point against Leicester and then went and beat Bournemouth, got four points in these two games. They're going into the winter break and you're looking at them and they're 11th or 12th and they're six points clear of the relegation zone. And you can almost see the cogs turning in people's minds, maybe at Finch Farm or elsewhere in the fan space. Oh, you know, we're, we're shot of last season. We're a completely different side. You know, we can perhaps be a bit riskier in January. We don't have to spend this money or that money. We don't have to look to improve these players or that players. Well, if anything, I think that what, what, what showed us, um, what Tuesday showed us is that, you know, the, the depth isn't anywhere near as strong as we'd like it to be. You know, there's going to be a renewed impetus in January and trying to continue to strengthen that includes moving players out. And I think unfortunately for some of those players, Frank said it today, he said don't judge players off the back of one game, etc. But, you know, there wasn't really any. There was a few glimpses from Nathan Patterson, perhaps, but there wasn't really anybody that made a case for themselves in that performance the other day. Um, 
So you know that that's that's a great shame. So I kind of I, I I'm not as angered by the fact that they made so many changes as, as Chris is, and I can kind of understand. I can understand Frank making a lot of those changes and still taking it seriously. I don't think they're too mutually exclusive. You know, I think that he thought that team would have done better. Um, but the thing that kind of worries me is the fact that that team should have done a lot better than it did. It didn't. It failed miserably, and, and that that's of course a concern. Where, where I do think that Frank Clark's made a mistake. The one thing he's been very good at this is all other than ten years is PR. He's been very good with the PR, solidarity with the fans, selling his vision. You know, kind of hitting out the officials when he needs to, putting an arm around shoulders when he needs to. You know, getting fans excited when he needs to. And obviously, what he does do is when he does make collecting changes. If he does get a performance like that, then it does a lot of it does come back to him, and, and that's where that's where I think that's the difference. I think this week since that game, the reaction to this game compared to a lot of the other defeats, where it's probably a little bit more blame on Frank Lampard's shoulders than, than perhaps rather than elsewhere. Gav, you know Frank just alluded to there. Frank said this morning, you know, don't don't judge the players off one game, that one performance on Tuesday night. Whereas it's been pointed out widely on social media since you know the full time was went to the vitality. A lot of them players nearly took everything down last season. So in some respects, what we witnessed on Tuesday wasn't really that much of a surprise, was it, if you've watched a lot of Everton last season? I, I dispute that. I think that's a, an emotional reaction. If you have a look, um, 18 players play, started 10 or more Premier League games for Everton last season and only five of them were on the pitch on, 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 Wednesday, on Tuesday. So there was a lot of new players there and like, players who weren't even at the club last season and players like Tom Davis who didn't play. I mean, I think he played three times last season, three Premier League starts. So I, I dispute that. Um, and Begovic is in goal. So he didn't play either. So I I, I, I know what people are saying and, and what people are saying they're the blaming three or four players, aren't they? The, you know, the usual suspects. Colgate, and Colgate was really good at the end of last season, by the way. And he did have he did have it. He did he played twenty old games. So I dispute that. Um, I my feelings on on Tuesday are I didn't have a problem with Frank's selection of players. Um, in that, I think um, you know, is it is it an opportunity to give people more game time? I have a problem with the way those players performed, but I also have a problem and with Frank's formation, the way he chose. He asked players to play. I mean, he picked a back three there. And we play back three. They've all got to know each other's roles inside. That was happening. It's not something you can just concoct out of thin air and effectively get it to work properly. You know, you've, you've got to you've got to have a deep understanding of, of the roles and, and how you interact with your colleagues. And that happened in the first goal, isn't it? Nobody pushed out. All the three centre defenders were on the back to, towards goal. So that was a problem for me. Play and, and th- not only that, but the three players have had little game time this season as well. So you, you know you, you you've got a lack of game time, lack of fitness, and you're playing in a back three, which which needs that those those characteristics and time together. And you then play two, and if you play three five two three four three, everything depends on the wing backs by and large. The wing backs are are, are the key to that. You play Patterson right back, right, right wing back. He's obviously getting back to fitness, so he's expected to go up and down the pitch all game, which I didn't, I didn't get that at all, and I think that contributed towards his last ten minutes 
where he, he he got found out a little bit and I felt sorry for him there. And Vernagel is the same, lack of mat fit fit fitness, but expected to go up and down the pitch. And and then in the midfield, you've got three midfielders, and the only one who's got any who can create, you're playing at the back. You know, Garner was like a like a six, which he can play. But if you're playing Garner as a six, you've got to play somebody creative in front of you. But like Decore and Davis are not creative midfielders, are they? They're not attacking midfielders. Decore get up and down and Tom's a little bit bit like that. So you're then going to not give yourself any opportunities to create anything for your strikers. And I think that was the problem I had with the, with the formation. I didn't have a problem with the players. I had a problem with the way they were selected on the pitch, to be honest with you. And that was, that was reflected in our performance as well. And... Um, I think that some of the substitutions. I mean, did McNeil touch touch the ball? I mean, it. I I, I get the first team, second team, but I mean, five of the players on the pitch came on a substitute substitutes against Leicester, didn't he? So they're not exactly reserves, are they? In that context, and you know the you know McNeil came on. I don't think he touched the ball, did he? Did he really? Um, it, it will be give us a little bit of impetus, and Gray scored a, a decent goal. By the way, in terms of Mope, yeah, he gets stick. His strength is obviously playing the ball into feet. The only time it was done by the area, the only time it was done all night, he created the goal, didn't he? Nice little touch off to uh, Gray. So I um, I can understand Frank changing it, but what I can't understand is the formation that he, he put the players out in and the roles he was asking them to perform, and that was reflected in their performance. Please, I think one of the big things to come from Tuesday nights is that. Frank has seemed to put himself under a lot of pressure, hasn't he? Because there's so many sections of the fan base who've got grabbed with the Everton boss, whether it be selection, tactics, you know, not taking the cup seriously. Prioritising Saturday's gaming, you know, everyone got to go there and win in many people's eyes tomorrow. He's put himself under pressure, hasn't he, by the decisions he took mm-hmm. on Tuesday nights. I think they've always got to go and do what they've got to go and do on Saturday regardless. But um, I don't quite understand what he was saving everybody for um i know we didn't name the kids in this but we just discussed there you know these aren't reserve players in terms of the you know they're, they're all people with plenty of first team experience to to varying degrees but <laughs> after saturday they don't have another competitive match for the next six weeks or so he's not saving them all for the sydney super cup um what is he what is he why why couldn't they james tarkovsky and connor cody hardly missed a game between them in five years in the Premier League. Why couldn't they have played Tuesday night? They didn't demand a night off. Um, what was the problem? They'd had three Premier League games in a week quite recently when um, was it? Um, they had um, Tottenham and uh, Newcastle and Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And he only ever made a couple of changes then in between. I think then, then he had an unchanged side. Yeah, he made two changes between Tottenham and Newcastle, if I'm right, and then unchanged for Newcastle to Crystal Palace. Yeah. So, okay, he had the three enforced changes that he had to make here, but he didn't have to do wholesale changes. I don't know. I don't get that whatsoever. Why? Yeah, there's some players who are demanding playing time, and because he's had such a settled team in the Premier League, there are people who haven't had a lot of minutes. And, okay, he mentioned they've been knocking on his door, and he might need them at various points in, in the season. But this is where the manager has to be strong. He has to say, no, wait, wait for your turn. I, I go back to this point. This isn't junior football, and let's all be equal, and let's all give somebody a go. And a minutes, they're all being paid handsomely, whether they get on that pitch or not. 
And, you know, Everton could have been in the next round of the Carabao Cup now. And they're not, and the trophy drought, okay, he's got the FA Cup to come. You know, it, it goes on again. It was just another self-inflicted wound. And it seems absolute folly. I mean, I'm not there on the training ground. I'm not saying I know stat sheets and look at what people's physical condition is from week to week. But you telling me James Tarkovsky and Conor Cody couldn't have played and, and that. And like as Gav said, change, totally changed the system to crowbar all these players in. Playing them in the even in the wrong position in the back three where they've been used to, as we said, that's been part of the problem with the back three is that people, as Gav said, need to know the the role inside out, and that's kind of why it hasn't worked for Everton in the past because they try it for a bit and then they go back to a flat back four, and people don't know the roles. Again, it's, it's all self inflicted, and yeah, there was always going to be the pressure to get the result on Saturday, which is obviously the reason why Frank would say he made the changes that he did on Tuesday because he's. He's waiting for that, but it just seems a nonsense to me that Everton couldn't have played an extra half dozen games over the course of the season. And then the third, next round of the Carabao Cup would have actually been before their next Premier League game against Wolves on Boxing Day. So they're only going to go and play it behind closed doors friendly instead, which they, they, they said they're going to do. I don't try if Everton would have played the next round of the Carabao Cup. But yeah, the, the weekend, they, they have to... I, I'm not saying it, um, it, it's a must win, but it's a must lot lose, and then obviously it depends on results elsewhere. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joe, in terms of Everton, because a lot of fans were quick on social media after the game and, and in the, the days that I followed to point out that, you know, the sad reality of the club now is that staying in the Premier League is an achievement. And the way Frank was talking is that, you know, that's the priority focus because it's it's such a big ask for Everton to stay in the Premier League. Is that the sad reality face to Everton right now that staying in the Premier League is a big achievement in itself because of how far they've fallen in the last couple of years? No, staying in the Premier League is an achievement, it's the bare minimum. You know, I think that's... You know, like, like that, no one should be celebrating staying in the Premier League in the sense that they should never get to a situation where the Premier League status is in jeopardy in the first place. Last season was a disgrace, uh, as we you know put on the front page of the Echo the very next day after the Crystal Palace win. You know that can never happen again. Everybody should not allow themselves to be in that position again. But we also have to realise is they don't have a right to not be in that position. They're coming from that position for a reason. You know, they were in that mess last season for a reason. Some of those players that were involved in, in midweek were obviously heavily involved with, you know, with, with that itself. You know, I, I think ultimately, you know, get all the cliches out. You can't run before you can walk. This is always going to be a difficult, even, even in its very best realistic case scenario, this was always going to be a difficult season, a transition. And I think avoiding re- avoiding a relegation battle is, is the most important thing because... You know, I think in in terms of where it can set Everton up to go from there, you know, just mid-table, even lower mid-table, is, is success this season, is progress. Now we can get themselves into a situation where come, you know, the back end of March, beginning of April, it doesn't, you know, they're 10 points clear of a relegation battle. Well, then all of a sudden, the forward planning can then start for the summer. 
and then you can have Frank and Kevin Fowler's third transfer window. And that's the one when a lot of the contracts come out. You know, a lot of players, there'll be a huge amount of turnover next summer. That's the one where they can really get hold of the club. And if they can do that, you know, with a long run up because they're safe in the Premier League, they can do that with, um, you know, knowing that they're going to have a high turnover players with a plan in place, that then, then Everton will be stronger going to the next season for that. You know, I, I kind of, I think one of the things, like I understand what Chris is saying when he says what you're saving those players for, that you're know, the first team players that didn't um, get involved. But, you know, I, I think there's a wider context there. And that's the fact that, all right, you know, there's, 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 there might be a long break between now and the next series of Premier League games, you know, when they come at a run properly. But whilst it might be a long period of time in, term, in terms of that, there's actually a very short period of time in terms of games before January. And one thing we know is this Everton squad needs needs strengthening. We know that due to the financial situation, is going to be an emphasis on outgoings to help kind of pave the way for some of those ingoings. And I think that, to be honest, I think Frank Lampard probably has a good idea as to what he thinks of most of that squad. But I think he's the type of manager that would probably be keen to give everybody as much of a chance as possible to kind of stay, make a case for themselves, make a case for themselves to stay at their club, to maybe win a new contract, to not be a player that Everton are willing to listen to offers for in January. And I think that's what part of Tuesday was about, really. The reality is that Everton haven't put themselves in a position in the league where they've been able to afford to give squad players opportunities 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there in the league because they've had to fight for every, fight to the nail for every minute of every game to try and get to where they are at the minute. And even that is a, a position mark in jeopardy. I think this is his. I think this is him saying to a few of those players, "Look, you know, Tom Davis is out of contract in the next summer. Abdullah Dekori is out of contract next summer. Yerry Mean is out of contract next summer. Um, you know, Asmir Begovic is out of contract next summer. Although, again, he's slightly different because I, you know, I don't blame him for what happened the other night, and I think he's a safe pair, pair of hands. Um, but you know, I, I think this was going to some of those players and say, look, convince me that I don't need to be thinking about your long-term future at this club in January. And that was the last opportunity he had to do that in a situation where there's slightly less pressure than there will be in tomorrow's game on Saturday. So I think part part of that fell into it as well. So, you know, like I think there's a lot more going on in that 90 minutes than just that 90 minutes. You know, sadly, a lot of players didn't make a, you know, a case for themselves and, you know, I mean, I, like I've mentioned the formation there as well, but obviously Michael Keane, Mason Holgate and Yerry Mina all played in, you know, albeit when fitness and suspension allowed, you know, they all played in the back five at the back end of last season when it really mattered. They should all know, have a rough idea as to what they're doing there. Um, you know, it was, it was a bad night for everybody involved, to be perfectly honest. It's a, and it's a night that kind of showcases the the fact that this Evan can't take anything for granted. It's another reminder, maybe, a bit like Tottenham last season, a bit like Minnesota in pre-season, where, you know, Frank Lampard's got a night where he wants the ground to swallow him up and he's having nightmares when he finally gets back to his bed that night and he's sitting there and he's realising that nothing is going to come easy for him at Everton. And, you know, the fan base notice anyway because of everything they've been through over the past best part of a decade. But for whatever reason, you know, whether it could be cursed or, or whatever, or, or just be bad decisions, things like that, nothing's going to come for free for the seventh. And, and I think that was another reminder of it last season. He can't just put out a side that should be a second string Bournemouth side, a side that have got a lot to prove as individuals and that they're going to get through. You know, they didn't. And, you know, obviously he says he's learned a lot from that. And I think we all have, to be honest. Sad frustrations. It's taken Epson to go out of one of the two cups that they stand the chance of winning in order to do so. But, 
you know, ultimately, you know, it's, it's what he learns from that that's going to be interesting. I think we'll see that a little bit in January. So, yeah. Gav, John makes a good point there in terms of what Frank Lampard learns from Tuesday because obviously, you know, we forget Frank Lampard is still quite a relatively young manager. Obviously, you know, one season at Derby, then at Chelsea for, you know, a, a, a season and a half before coming to Everton. It will be interesting. I want to see what he's learned from Tuesday night because, you know, perhaps he was a little bit naive and given some of them players the chance that he did and it's come back to bite him. Yeah, as I mentioned that. I mean, do you think he's been here in about a year? Well, not a year, is it? Ten months or whatever. Um, always worried. I always worry me when I hear the statements of managers learn something from a game. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> You see him on the training pitch, you, you watch videos of him, you you have an insight into their character, being around them. You know, there's when you say, Oh, I learned what I've learned is X, Y, and Z, I'm always a bit worried in that because if you've been an Arden Everton fan over the last couple of years, would you have learned anything new from them? Well, many expected what you saw, didn't he? Do the nice. Yeah. That that was the issue for for me on uh, on 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 Tuesday. Thank Frank talks a lot about training as well, doesn't he? he? Spoke about it again today. Well, obviously some of the players that have played on Tuesday trains well, you know. So I don't know whether, but of course, what what he says publicly and what he thinks in private and what he says privately can be two completely different things, by the way. And mm-hmm. um, it was uh, it. Was, I don't know. That's worrying if he says that. That's worrying, guy. And and the other thing as well is, I'd say about bringing in the reserve team or whatever. That the 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 insinuation from that is actually we've got a great first team. Now, if they'd have played against Bournemouth on Tuesday, they would have won. Well, if they'd have played like they did against Leicester on Saturday, I'd dispute that as well. It's not as if we've got a great first team that we we, we sort of watered down. You know that, that I think. You know, if you'd have played, I don't know, the wingers from the start, Gray, McNeil, Mopay up front, would they have done any different based on what I've seen in the last few games? Probably not. And um, I think Cozy and Tarkovsky definitely would have made a difference at the, at the back and Michalenko. Uh, that's the only things I'd say probably were wrong. But when we say, oh, we had a reserve team, it's not really, is it? And it's not as if we've got a great first team either, let's face it. So, um, yeah, a bit worried when the managers say that. But what I'm, what I'm thinking is, Frank saying that publicly, where it actually privately may think it was something completely different. Bees, how much do you think Saturday's defeat to Leicester impacted Frank's decisions on, on Tuesday? Because obviously, you know, we were all at Goodison and, you know, sitting in the press room. It was a bit of a, a weird one before the game in the sense of if Owen could have took everything so far off the table. But, a two-goal defeat could have taken, which obviously they, they felt too, takes them so many places down the table. It was a weird one. Which, how yeah. big an interesting goal that defeat has had on that selection in the sense of it's rocked up a little bit of how yeah. far they've fallen off the back of that one defeat. 
Yeah, I mean, one fan actually um, said to me, maybe, uh, sort of alluding to what Gav said, then, that they were so so poor on Saturday. Maybe they were all dropped. Maybe you could actually look at it that way. Um, <laughs> okay, a free out. But I guess then we're all laxed and didn't suppose, didn't um, deserve to stay back in. But yeah, it obviously has because it did make so much of a difference. You know, did it, albeit temporarily, did it have gone all above Liverpool if they'd have won on, on, on Saturday night and there was an expectation, you know, that Leicester came into that game in the bottom three, obviously. We know that, and Leicester fans, and that's been part of their frustration, is that they probably got a much better team than their league position mm. suggested. And after a bad start, they they're starting to come good. But yeah, it really did. You know, it really concertinaed in that that division. It was a double hit in that respect. In that it was actually for all the wrong reasons, similar to Frank's very first Premier League game at Everton, where Newcastle were also in the bottom three going into that game. That gave their season new fresh hope, and look how they've you know gone on since then. Uh, albeit um, with the spending power that their new owners have brought them over the over the summer, but even before then, last season, and they made the January signings. But that that win over Everton just gave them new new hope, and it's kind of done that with not just Leicester, but the whole um, bottom half of the division. Now you can like throw you know throw a rug over the lot of them, and there's more or less it was about three points, is it between so many. Different clubs, so yeah, it does. So, if that had happened, maybe I, I don't know. I, I listening to Frank Lampard's comments, it would seem to me he probably always had these intentions of making wholesale changes, given them the reasons he's given for those. Um, he's not come out and said, Oh, it's because Saturday is so important, we need to get results. They're saying because these players were knocking on my door, you know, they deserved a chance. So. Maybe it hasn't changed it in, in, in that respect, but what he has done now, he's given Bournemouth... I mean, this seems to be a, mad, a maddening sort of bad habit that Everton have. Whenever there's an, an opponent, be it an individual or a team, if they need to pick me up at any time, Everton will sort of roll out the welcome mat for them <laughs> and um, Bournemouth had lost four on the spin for then. So they, including, of course, Leeds United at the weekend when they've been 3-1 up and lost 4-3. So, you know, you need a morale-boosting victory, albeit with you know, more or less second 11. Everton will come and give you that before we have the game on Saturday. So I don't like what it's done there. And it, just, Gary O'Neill was very sort of magnanimous and they played it down, said it hasn't given us a psychological boost in that, again, there'll be wholesale changes at the weekend, but it has. It's given them a boost. If Everton had beaten them in the in the in the Carabao Cup, well, it could have given them the impetus for the weekend. And we saw going back to 2007 under David Moyes, Everton had a very similar scenario at West Ham United. They'd go to a, a League Cup game the midweek and then went to the Berlin ground at the weekend for a Premier League game, exactly like they've got now against Bournemouth. Obviously, there wasn't a World Cup break on the horizon, which has again ramped everything up because you can't do anything about it for six weeks. But on that occasion, David Moyes went strong, won the League Cup game at the midweek and then won um, the league game at the weekend. And it wasn't like all the players were burnt out and they couldn't manage. They got the Cup win and they got the three points at the weekend. Joe, do you think, you look at the draw, look at the results from the Carabao Cup this week, look at the results first and the draw that follows and there's some pretty big names already out of the competition, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City and Liverpool face with the next round. That's one of them out. That just heightens those, doesn't it? The, the anger from Swerotones that, you know, you look at all the big clubs who've left, it would have been a good opportunity or a, a big opportunity for Everton to potentially progress, especially with Newcastle to come in the next round. 
further on in the competition post Christmas and get their hands on a first trophy for twenty seven years. Yeah, you know, I, it, there's there's no doubt that things have got progressively worse from the moment that that first <laughs> eleven was named. Uh, I think we're to seven. Kind of, you know, I kind of alluded to it in one of the answers earlier. Like, as I say, I think you know Frank Lampard's been very good at his own PR, uh, and, and I and, and with Gav on this, I, I don't have that many problems with his selection. On the basis that I think that that's he could make those changes and still be taking it seriously. Like I think, like granted, you know, you could put, maybe start Gray, maybe start Tarkovsky and things like that. But you know, Saturday was always going to be the more important game. You know, that that is also true. It was also a game that you know at that stage he's looking at. And he doesn't know if Idris Gay is going to be fit for. He doesn't know if uh, Amadou Inara is going to be fit for. So some of the other first team players he's going to be even more protective of. But what he did do is he he kind of left himself open to the criticism that's come. You, you know, he he put the he's put the pressure on himself by doing by making those changes. Because obviously, if he, if they'd have put a relatively what we would if he'd have put what we're saying would be a first team side out and lost, then the pressure would be less on Grant Lampard and more on the players probably. Uh, whether that I don't know that that would leave us in a better situation going into tomorrow or not, to be honest, but. Um, but yeah, obviously the perform the result and the performance went downhill, and then just seeing Arsenal get knocked out, seeing Spurs get knocked out, seeing Chelsea get knocked out, and also that middle rung of the Premier League as well. You know, the likes of, of, of Palace and West Ham going, Villa going, Brentford going, Leeds going. You know, you could you could see you could you know there was very much a scenario. On Wednesday night, you know, or Thursday night after you know, before the draw yesterday, where everyone could easily have ended up at home to Lincoln City of League One, you know, who've, who've caused Everton problems in the FA Cup recently. Yeah. Although Everton did get over the line, I was there, it wasn't an easy and, and game for them. Well, yeah, like right, yeah. you know, but they could very easily have ended up with League One opposition, um, you know, for a chance to get through to the quarterfinals. And by that point, knowing that the only team left to probably fear would be Man City or Liverpool. Obviously, Liverpool don't look as if they would. You know, judging by their selection, you know, they didn't look like they're taking it seriously. But you know, so it's 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 got worse and worse. Like, and it kind of buys into that mindset that it just nothing seems to be going right for the club over quite a sustained period of time. And you can you, know, you can certainly say that sometimes you've got a you know Everton their own worst enemy, and that not naming the starting lineup. But I also think it's important not to get too carried away as well because. And this is the difficulty in judging this season so far. We talk about the fine margins between where Everton could have been if they'd have won last weekend compared to where they, you know, were for having lost it. And obviously the same is true for this weekend. But for all that we're talking about the performance on Tuesday, it went one nil down to a goal. Uh, you know, Bournemouth had started better, and you know their midfield and, and Jamal Lowe were given too much space on the edge of the area. But it took a horrible deflection. And then a couple of minutes later, Tom Davis has put you know, for all the issues with creativity this season. Tom Davis has put through one on one, and I mean, if you look at the replays, it, it doesn't get any better because the keeper commits before he's even had the shot. There's a lot of goal gaping there. I'm not saying I'd have finished it. You know, like, you know we're not we're not that stupid, but you know, that's pretty good chances. Gordon, exactly. You know, you know, Gordon had good chances. And, and that's it. And that's kind of all the fine margins, you know, whether it be fin- you know, again, you go back to Leicester, Alex Awobi, Evans, most, one of the most informed attacking players in the Premier League. 
puts that shot wide after five minutes. Dominic Calvert-Lewin misses the one-on-one with Evans start the head of steam. At the, you know, this chap's been one, one uh, just after half-time. You know, you look at Tottenham and, you know, it looks so bad now, but the game plan worked and, you know, Anana or Gray or both score their goals at nil-nil and it's a completely different game. And you can kind of, you know, you look at Fulham and Mitrovic should have been sent off. It's madness that he didn't get sent off after 25 minutes. Calvert-Lewin misses the wonderful opportunity that comes back to him. These margins are just so, so fine. And, it, you know, I mean, you know, we're the ones that are kind of privileged enough to be paid to try and make a judgment on all this. But it isn't easy because, as I say, you know, it could so much easy, it's so easy, it could be so much better. And that's probably the difficult thing for Frank looking at this. It's, it's not that things aren't going so badly wrong that you can just rip everything off and throw a tantrum and you know, tell players they're getting sold in January and things like that. But they're also not quite going right. And, you know, it's, it's how do you make those kind of almost small adjustments, which means that Tom Davis scores that equaliser or one of the back three pushes forward, you know, on, I think it was Stanislas who set up Jamal Lowe or, you know, Calvert-Lewin scores that one-on-one. Mitrovic gets sent off, like... You know, it's it's hard. It's hard. I think you know. I don't think this is easy for anyone. And I think that context is really, really important going into to, into tomorrow. I'm not saying you know under no circumstances can get a free pass. And if they lose tomorrow, you know, it, it really would be a bad way to finish this 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 little run of fixtures. Similarly, if they win tomorrow and the results go the way, the table could look very, very good for Everton. All of a sudden, they could be four points ahead of Bournemouth, five points clear of the relegation zone. And looking, you know, looking upwards, being upwardly mobile. A lot of other clubs I haven't got managers or got brand new managers. We know how we're going to look to do a bit of business in January. So I think that for the same reasons that you wouldn't want to overanalyze or take too much confidence from a win tomorrow, probably also isn't worth being too horrendously annoyed and angered if 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 they say if they got a draw or even if if, if the worst happens, you know, there's a long way to go. And as I say, there's the fine margins, it's just how we're I'm gonna improve that because they ain't got the money to go out and spend willy-nilly on it, have they? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. That that's the thing, Bill Gav, isn't it? You know, Tuesday night again highlighted just how big a job. Frank Lampard and probably more importantly Kevin Falwell have got in their hands in turn, you know, Everton to a squad, a, a good squad because like we've seen, you know, it's effectively Everton are hanging the hat on seven or eight players, aren't they, essentially? And, you know, the rest are very few and far between. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd still expect the uh, better than of the seven or eight you're talking about, the ones who are not in that group. I still expect better from them than what we've had over the last... You know, twelve months or what we saw on Tuesday, and that, that was that was my frustration about Tuesday. Yeah, it does it does um, it does show the job, and obviously that that sort of you need to understand that when you're talking about Frank's Frank's future and the job he's done, isn't it? Um, Joe pointed towards there's a number of players who are out of contact next summer. Um, it'd be handy often if we can get a couple of them out the door through in in January. Um, well, yeah, exactly. Well, not not just that, Connor. It's not, but the the financial state of the club as well at the same time. So there's only 
it's only very little wriggle room in terms of changing things as well. So it's not as if like you've got a clean financial slate where you can go, not like, a bit like we had in 2016 where you can change all the players and stuff. Is um, you've got you know you've got players who, who can't move out because of big wages, and also you know you can't bring money, bring new players in because you haven't got the cash. So yeah, a big job, but at the same time you would expect better from the players who you think are on the periphery, and you'd also expect. Be- I think it's not unreasonable as a fan to expect better management of them as well. To be honest with you, and. Um, but you, you can say that and say Frank has had a, obviously a big job to do over the last and Kevin Dowell over the over the last uh, ten months, and some of the bits they have done have been good, haven't they? You've spoken about the defence going back to January. You know, if you include that, Patterson, Michalenko, Cody, Tarkovsky, excellent, and um, one or two others. But you know, and this is the thing, isn't it? Managers need time, don't they? You would hope that Frank's got time. I don't see the I don't see the point of panicking and changing things around again. That some people are saying that that's just a that's just nonsense, isn't it? Really, especially in a in a funny season. Um, but the players have to be doing better, and I think the manager needs to be doing better. And I don't think don't think it's usually painted either party either of those parties in any great light. To be honest with you. He's, we, we did hear from the Everton manager on Friday morning in his yeah. pre-match press conference ahead of Bournemouth. Injury news was, was quite mixed, I think it's safe to say, on and, and Guy yeah. looking good to be back available for the trip to the Vitality. Donna Calvert-Lewin definitely out. And much to you know the surprise, I think, of some supporters, not just with a hamstring injury, yeah. he's also got an issue with his knee, an issue with his shoulder, which he picked up against Newcastle, and which frankly was the, even being played through the pain barrier. You know, when it rains, it pours, doesn't it? For the lads, uh, you can't get any luck at the minute. Yeah, it's it's, 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 it's tough, really, isn't it? Because people are like, oh, can't look injured again. But <laughs> what what can he do, to be fair? As Frank was defending and he's been putting his body on the line, you know, his shoulder came out. And then, I mean, Frank was doing similar to what I'm doing now. He gives, <laughs> giving us actions of uh, <laughs> their shoulder getting dislocated and going back in. So it, it's, it's not like... Cause the, Part of the frustration seems to be an idea that is Calvert-Lewin being overly um, protective of himself? Are the club being overly protective of Calvert-Lewin in the, the way that they were sort of like wrapping him in cotton wool and being very slow with trying to bring him back? And when he has come back, to be fair, you know, these, these things have happened to him and he's, and he's done his very best to stay out there. And obviously he got his goal against Crystal Palace but now, now he's, um, he's, as you say, got those three separate injuries, and it's it's concerning on the long term. On the, at least that's one thing about this very strange and unprecedented break that we now face, and that's another thing. That's the reason why Bournemouth is so big for Everton. If, if it was just a normal season, I mean, a defeat would be a defeat and it'd be very disappointing. But you go again the following week, and you go again all through November. Well, we'd be heading to international break in a normal yeah. season, that would yeah. be so. So you'd have what you'd have a couple of weeks where you couldn't do anything about it, but then you could be straight back in it and you'd be in that busy festive program. It's a totally different scenario this year because, like we say, when the music stops, it's like past the parcel and reverse, I guess, rather than ones at the parcel. You don't want to be there in that bottom three when the music stops and you can't do anything about it for six weeks. So the one thing about that break is that it gives Calvert Lewin chance now to 
recover from his, his latest setback. And I think by all accounts, it seems that the knee again is the most concerning of that. I mean, he, he actually went off with a hamstring against Leicester, but Frank says that's actually the, the least of his concerns at the moment, and that's a sort of a 10-day thing. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's just sad, really, and also very concerning for Everton because we said last weekend after the Leicester City drawing a blank there and missing the chances there, uh, 11 goals from 14 Premier League games from, from the team. And if you can't depend on Calvert-Lewin to stay fit, it's a big concern for the second half of the season, just where the goals are going to come from. Because, again, Mopey's only got the one. Rondon just hasn't worked. He's been a decent striker in the Premier League in the past, just hasn't worked now. He wasn't even in the squad midweek. Mm. And as far as we know, he, was, he wasn't injured. Um, and uh, Lampard went with the youngsters rather than his experience. So... Yeah, you've got to hope that we. I mean, we said this for this latest one where Carl Lewin came back, but we can use this period, and when he is back, he'll be back fit and firing on the long term. But you just can't depend on it, can you? And Everton's whole future could depend depend on this if, for whatever reason, Carl Lewin can't get himself fit and have a string of matches setting after the season. It's very concerning. I think it'd be quite interesting, Joe, wasn't it? As well, this is a, a Friday's press conference, today's press conference, in which Frank spoke quite openly about reinforcements in January, mm. attack and reinforcements because normally when it comes to transfers he likes to keep his cards close to his, close to his chest. But he kind of opened, was very honest in terms of, you know, it was look, something that people will look for more so off the back of the Calvert and injury news, I suspect, because if there is concern around in the injury and he's obviously picked up other muscle injuries, there's no quick fix to them injuries and although Everton have a six-week break, the grueling the schedule has to come once football resumes. It's putting Calvert under a lot of pressure to come Straight back in and get back into the swing of things. Yeah, the, the most helpful thing that Everton could do probably for Calvert Lewin is to get back up. To I mean, mm. it, you know, it's not not so much the pressure is on his shoulders, and then that might kind of free him up a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, I, I think it's been clear that even at the end of the transfer window, Everton were an attacking player short. You know, I wrote a big piece. I think it was last week now just talking about looking ahead to january in, in that saying that a forward player was the priority um you know i maybe more than one um ideally someone that could probably do more than one job you know almost a bit of a child some more that he can play out on the wing or play up front by himself or you know someone that can be a number 10 be a bit more creative but then can also you know do some of that top themselves as, as well um you know so i don't think there's, there's any secret that Everton are going to look to reinforce in that area in January. They have to. They can't they can't be complacent over that. They they took a chance. They took a chance at the beginning of this uh, of the season and you know I can understand the thought process of you know they wanted to build from the back and midfield first and that makes sense, you know, and they did a very good job in defence and you know I think they did a good job in midfield for the most part as well. You know hasn't always worked this season, but Everton are definitely stronger in that position and strong with the potential to get better. Um, you know, I saw a lot of Calvert-Lewin over the summer and he looked in great shape. So in America, he, you know, he, he looked really, really fit. Um, and I can understand why they thought that, you know, they might be able to start the season with him. I, I still think that no matter how good Calvert-Lewin looked in the summer, it was always going to be an oversight to not get in another replacement or, you know, or more help, and specifically, especially after losing with Charles. And, you know, even at the beginning of the season, I think most fans would have gone, look, you know, would have thought you'll 
you, you're putting your eggs a little bit too much in one basket if you if you're relying if you're relying on Calvert Lewin to be fit rather than hoping on him to stay fit, then that's which is what Everton have ended up doing. And I think that was probably a risk too far. But obviously, there's only so much you can do in one transfer window. Be interesting to see what they can do in January because January is a very difficult transfer window at the best of times. The World Cup's going to have a distorting effect on that as well. And the fact that, to be honest, there are quite a number of clubs that are also looking for strikers. You know, there you know, Everton will be competing with quite a few players, with, sorry, with quite a few clubs, I think, for, you know, either the kind of 10 to 15, 16 million pounds, slight gamble, potentially easy fits, low risk, or the 22 to 30 million kind of, you know, more of a surefire, but obviously, you know, you're more 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 of a proven track record, more quality. But then, as a result of that, obviously, the, you know, the price goes up. So, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting what happens there. But I, I yeah, mines at Finch Farm have been looking at attacking options all season. You know, they, this isn't some this isn't something they haven't gone. A oh, bloody hell, you know, we struggled against Leicester, and our second string struggled against Bournemouth, and now. Uh, you know, now, now Calvert Lewin's out for a while. You know, this is this is a process that's been ongoing since the you know the last transfer window closed. First day of the of of of, of, of this of this season, there were already minds at Finch Farm looking towards attacking options for January. So, you know, who they can get and how much they can spend, and that's all open for debate. But I've no doubt that they've got strength in there. Gav, that's the big issue, though, isn't it, for Everton? Because obviously, it's abundantly clear now they need to bring someone into. You know, help Calvert Lewin and support Calvert Lewin because Neil Morpeh doesn't look the the central figure number nine. That you know, Dominic Calvert Lewin likes to play for the for Frank Lampard's side. But you know, saying we need a centre forward and identifying centre forwards to actually bring them one in is two totally different things, aren't they? In football. Yeah, and I think that was the case in the summer, wasn't it? Really. Um, the, the, the other question to say is is say we were looking for the striker in the summer and uh, sorry in January. And that the price is fifty million quid. Say, so, I'm just thinking aloud here. Where's the fifteen million quid going to come from? Who's who's, who's Machete going to stump up fifteen million quid cash? I think there is a bit of room for manoeuvre. Yeah, you know what I mean, and I think the you know I don't don't know the full extent of how much they're going to have to spend, but. The reports from Shakhtar Donetsk at the back end of the transfer window were that Everton put thirty million pounds, sorry, thirty million euros in for for Mudrik, who's since gone on to have a sensational start to the campaign. And the suggestion was that Everton made a late bid for for Morgan Gibbs White, and that must have been obviously Nottingham Forest paid a lot of money for him. Um, so Everton must have gone to them with a, at least a, a decent chunk. It must have gone towards at least a decent chunk of money to. You know, even, even to, still to fail, they couldn't have gone in there offering them hardly anything. So you, you'd, you'd imagine that obviously situations change and forecasts change and, and, and things like that. But you know, I don't think that Everton have got enough to be profligate. I don't think Everton have got enough money or enough financial freedom to take gambles in January. But I think they will probably, judging by you know what looked to have happened at the back end of the last transfer window, you would think that there is a, a sum of money there that, if spent wisely, could help address address the issue. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. I was, yeah. I was playing devil's advocate there, Joe, because I mean, like since then we spent ten million on Mopay as well, though, haven't we? 
Yeah, um, and also it got rid of Alan, which would yeah, have been yeah. decent wages. Got rid of Ali and Gomez for you know for loan, which would have been decent wages. I mean, Salomon Rondon. You, you, everything's this isn't insider information or anything like that, but everything the the last four months seems to have shown this would suggest that Everton would be open to offers for him in January. Whether anyone comes in is a different matter, but and I, obviously with him being out of contract, they're probably not going to get anything for him. But it might be a, another route to save yeah. him. No, no, I, I, I'm not saying we've not run position to him. Just to me, it, it's all very well. We have these conversations all the time with friends and podcasts and stuff. Or we need to buy such and such. We need a striker. That we need X, Y, and Z, and all that. And, the, and there's two issues there, right? Can we afford it in terms of the, the you know, financial regulations, which we're not going to bore everybody with, or I'm not going to bore anybody with. But the second thing is the cash, the actual physical cash, mm. you know, the sum in a business that's losing money. Is where is that going to come from? And uh, that that's that's you know, always the other the issue for me. I know you can get better deals with people from abroad and stage payments. We've been quite um, we've been quite imaginative in the last twelve months over that as well. That's the other thing to consider. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do in in January. But as I say, say it's going to be a little bit of a, a strange market. I think generally, if you want my opinion on our transfer deal, and I always think, I always think, and the best time to sell a player is twelve months before it's too late. And we've got five or six players who are in that category at the moment, and some that we could have probably got big money for at the time and I think that failure to do that I think is biting us a, a little bit at the moment I know you can say about wages and stuff are being too high but I think we've had opportunities to some end players on Tuesday we probably have had opportunities to sell over the last two or three years and we didn't sell them including the summer and uh, that, that I think that comes to this conversation about there's only seven or eight players we can trust some of the others should have, be, should have got rid of eight, ages ago and uh, that's the other that's the other comment I'd say. But yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens in January, striker. But we need to be more creative as well, don't we? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You know, that's the issue now, isn't it? Because people are going from looking for a creative midfielder. Yeah. Now we need a centre forward. We probably need both, but you know, getting one in January will be hard enough. Getting two in will yeah. be. I'd, I'd argue that I'd argue that creative midfield may be more of a uh, more of a priority than a striker, but we'll see, we'll see. But uh, it's it's. I mean, the other thing I'd say about um, and it's just not another observation is where I think we are a little bit vulnerable. This this I got this out yesterday. This is the table on the seventeenth of October, and we were fourteenth, and the teams below us were Leeds, who've picked up four, Aston Villa, changed the manager. Wolves changed the manager. Southampton changed the manager since since obviously those three clubs. Leicester have picked up form and Forest. And as we see in the end of last season, you know we're looking at everybody else's results at the end of last season. Man, it's not just what we can do with within our own gift. And I think we need to remember in all the conversations we're having about Everton and Frank, we need to be looking about what other clubs are doing as well. And other clubs have made moves who are near the bottom of the table to change things around or have picked up form. And I think that's going to be one of the other narratives, isn't it? Both 
you know, in the next six weeks and when we go into the start into January, is what other clubs are doing. It's not just what we're doing. And I think um, you know, um that that that'd be interesting to see how other clubs who've got new managers out there, whether they pick up. Put it this way, I don't think Aston Villa under Emery are gonna go down, are they? I think he's a really good manager who we've approached in the past. So that, that's another thing. Uh, I think will be quite fascinating to see how that pans out in terms because that'll affect our fortunes as well. That first game back at home to Wolves. Oh, um, massive. Massive, isn't it? Well, yeah. Kind of of course, because you can't play against us. Yeah, yeah, no. his official first game, isn't it? Yeah, but they'll have no Diego Costa because he got sent off for his headbutt, didn't he? So it'd be a free game ban, I should think. Not, not saying that necessarily fear you, possibly. They're struggling for striking options mm. like us, aren't they? So, you know, they're going to have their own issues. And... I think what I'm saying here is, is that in all the talk about Frank and the team and all that, where we on the league is dictated by what other clubs do as well. Mm. And and I think we need to be cognizant of that, you know, in terms of um, how we're doing. So it's, it's a big game, isn't it, on Saturday? But <laughs> it is a big game. He's no better chance of redemption no. is deep than going back to where you were humbled a couple of days before and putting in the performance. Um. No, that's what that's what they that's, that's what that's what they they want to do, and it will be obviously a a much changed lineup. We're just going to hope that it's uh, will Frank get as much stick for, for making the changes <laughs> on Saturday from Tuesday? Well, okay. well, I want him to make a lot of changes now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to hopefully be a, 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 a much better result. But, but yeah, he's, he's um, and and what he will do, and if, if he does get if he does get the win. Well, a lot of what I said are people who said similar to me. I mean, it'll still rankle the fact that they're out of the cup and the cup has since opened up. But a lot of them will obviously get pushed away if, if, if they were to do that. And uh, I, I don't think you can say, I told you so, if you get to win. But it'll obviously look a lot rosy. And that's obviously what we all want. We all want, want that result. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just I just feel that what happened on Tuesday is, is you know, it's, it's obviously not helped. Right, gents, I think score prediction time. Oh. Because... We are coming up to an hour, <laughs> <laughs> and John Chris have got to go in the ball swing, get, yeah. to, get two ball yeah. enough <laughs> yeah, to cover it. the game. Please start with you. Okay, all right. Uh, I'm not feeling great after Tuesday, to be honest. And uh, so Frank and Lampard, never, Lampard. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, ne- never a guess that you weren't feeling great, Chris. Never, the selections have absolutely played havoc with you. No. Really, I, I, I won't kind of go against the unwritten rule, and, and <laughs> certainly to a team below Everton. And, and predict a, a defeat, although I'm not feeling great, but I'll go one all. One all, Gav. Yeah, when people say we've got to win, it's definitely in the must not lose category. Take a draw all day long, one all. I'm just thinking, you no, know, if Brian Clough was in charge of the team on Tuesday and to put that team out, you know what he would have done? He would have selected the exact same team again on Saturday and said, sort it out and get a result. Uh, but I think Frank will be making changes. Um, Unless you, of course, this, this podcast and takes inspiration from yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I, 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 if you want to be a defensive coach out to play back three, I'd be more than happy to to, to supply that expertise. Uh, no, I'm with I'm with bees. I, I think I think that these last two games. I'm sorry, I'm rambling on here. You only asked me for this, Scott. The last two this week and last last weekend. If you ask most managers, I'd reckon most managers would have taken two draws, wouldn't he? Just to. Mm. So they're going into the six weeks, uh, six weeks off. Okay, tackle going forwards. 
And uh, yeah, I think I think I'll go for one all as well with these. I'm sitting on the Alan Shearer newly mm-hmm. associated defence there, obviously. Joe, two 0 to Everton. Two 0 uh, to Everton. I think the psychological demons of Tuesday night. I I think that there'll be a reaction. Uh, I think that there are enough leaders coming and big personalities coming back into the starting lineup for it to not have the big psychological impact that we worry that it will do on the players themselves. And also because, I mean, as, as listeners to this podcast, we'll, we'll find out next week. This time next week, I'll be on the plane to Australia for the Sydney Super <laughs> Cup. And if Everton were to finish this off with a defeat, I'm not sure I can bear the prospect of having to go to Australia because I, I can tell you it's going to be a lot harder to get um, people to speak to me for, for interviews and content. When I do. But and I can see Chris piping up. I must admit, the minute I'm fearing the five hours I'm about to spend on the motorway in a car with Chris Beasley even more. So there you so. go. Do it for Joe. Well, if the other <laughs> 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 no, heart bleeds for you, Joe. My heart bleeds for you. <laughs> in Australia for the World Cup, I, <laughs> know, tell you what. I, I also think they've got moving tomorrow. I think, I think, I think, they'll, I think they'll, they'll come good tomorrow. They'll, 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 they'll finish yeah. on a higher, I think. They'll send everyone into the World Cup, mm. right? Happy. Yeah. Frank, 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 Europe. And, and Frank will come into his press conference and pick on points at bees and say, <laughs> I told you so. Now you see why I don't Yeah. So we can dream and hope that, that that is the case tomorrow. <laughs> but we will call you back on Monday to dissect all that happens at the Vitality Stadium on Saturday. And of course, we'll head to Everton's trip to Australia, in which Joe will be following the team over there as they take on Celtic and is it Western Sydney, Joe? Oh, it is. Is it Western Sydney, Sydney Wanderers in, in, in the Sydney Cup. But until then, you'll be listening to the Rugby Podcast. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.